the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022, the 499th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. And let's get started today, as we often do, by mentioning the great American patriot, Mike Lindell, and his great American manufacturing company, MyPillow. You can go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code reasonable and get up to 60% off items all across the MyPillow.com store. You can also take advantage of many various buy one, get one free offers. And when you order, they will send you a free gift of Mike Lindell's autobiography. So make everything more comfortable. Go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code reasonable. You'll be supporting this show. You'll be supporting Mike Lindell and you'll be supporting a great American manufacturing company. A huge thank you once again to everyone who has subscribed to the Substack and gotten a paid membership to the Substack. You guys will have immediate access to the podcast whenever I put it out, starting in a couple of weeks. That will be the exclusive location for the podcast on the day of its release, and then I'll put it up elsewhere in the days to follow. If that is a problem financially for someone and you have been a fan of this show, I do not want to ruin your experience. So you're welcome to reach out and get in touch and we will see what we can do. You can contact me. You can just hit me up with a message on Truth Social or Telegram or Gab or Getter and we will figure something out because I certainly know what it's like to be broke. And I know how many Americans are dealing with great stress in their lives for financial reasons right now. So I do not want to make that worse and I do not want to take away something that you might enjoy. And if that's the case, don't feel bad about reaching out because I know exactly how you feel. Now, there is some more post-Michael Sussman verdict, John Durham special investigation, Russiagate-related stuff that has continued to come out this week. Yesterday on a substack called Undead FOIA, this great article came out. Evidence points to massive conspiracy. New files first posted by Ivan Penchikov of the Epoch Times shows that when the U.S. government formally accused Russia of hacking the DNC, they were lacking crucial files from CrowdStrike. As noted below, one week before the official attribution, FBI officials were scrambling to get basic documents regarding the hack. Now, if you'll remember, the story goes that Russia hacked 
the DNC and that they gave that information to WikiLeaks and WikiLeaks published all the DNC emails and none of it had anything to do with Seth Rich. This immediately raises the specter of a massive conspiracy. The U.S. government did not use CrowdStrike reports or files to attribute the attacks. Who did they turn to? Working with Margot Cleveland over the past six months, we have obtained thousands of pages of documents that may provide an answer. In June 2020, Manos Antonakakis wrote this to representatives at Georgia Tech. And here is the excerpted email. Now, neither member of my team nor me will talk to anyone until, with asterisks for emphasis, I get explicit direction from the Dean of COE and or EVPR that GT wants my team to get involved in this investigation. And I'm assuming GT is Georgia Tech. Assuming we end up as GT helping out DOJ in this investigation, I would like to understand how GT, Steve and Chowkey plans to protect me and my researchers when our attribution analysis becomes public. And we have extreme people from either the far right, i.e. KKK. (laughs) Yeah, totally far right. Or the far left, i.e. Antifa. Oh, Antifa doesn't exist. What is he talking about? That do not like our findings for whatever reason. Come visiting us in our homes. That is a very paranoid email to send. If his work was retroactive or a simple analysis reconfirming other data and evidence, why would he be so concerned about being tied to the attribution analysis? Remember, his initial involvement appeared to be related to the fake Alpha Bank server allegation. Additional FOIAs caught an email from David Dagon's lawyer and If you're not familiar, a FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act request. So they file the request with the government. The government eventually delivers the information with some level of redaction, usually. And here is that email. Beth, at our direction, David made a list of documents and data sources that he thought would be responsive to the subpoena. They are DARPA white papers, the white paper on the DNC attack attribution, Analysis of attacks of EOP, Executive Office of the President Networks, white paper for DOJ on APT29 related hackers, and that's the hacking group, Cozy Bear, CryptoCoin transactions, and analysis that includes Yoda related domains. And then in quotes, the Mueller list, a list of domains and indicators related to APT28. BLU phones, directory of files, Romnusia chat logs. We may have further information after we are able to speak to our client, but not sure when that will be at this point. Hopefully this is helpful to you. This list touches on every piece of the DNC hack. They analyzed fancy bear, cozy bear domains, crypto transactions, which may relate to certain purchases alleged to be done by the GRU to support their hacking operations and a white paper on the DNC hack attribution. Another FOIA showed that Manos alleged in July 2021 that he was tasked by DARPA to look at the DNC hack 
and not as a proof of concept or retroactive analysis. Here is the question. Did our government attribute the hack based on their work? Is that why Manos was asking for protection? The fact that our government did not have evidence from CrowdStrike should send a shockwave through Washington, D.C. If they relied on operatives working at the behest of the Clinton campaign and Rodney Jaffe, there will be no shortage of calls for a massive number of prosecutions. And this adds an additional level on to this entire conspiracy. We were told the DNC was hacked by Russia. That was part of the basis for the Trump-Russia collusion. You'll remember Donald Trump standing behind a podium and joking or maybe saying seriously. I certainly took it seriously at the time when he asked Russia to release more WikiLeaks emails. Not being a Trump supporter at the time, I was like, uh, hey, that's that sounds like a presidential candidate is asking a foreign country for help in smearing his political opponent. And of course, that's exactly how it was presented to us. And if we didn't actually dig in and find the real information, then that story kind of made sense. You could see Donald Trump asking for help. You knew the background story that the mainstream media was spinning. And the two things seemed to confirm one another. But it turns out that's not how it was at all. The DNC went out and attributed the hack to Russia, but they had no basis for that claim coming from CrowdStrike, which seems to indicate that they made up the claim and then had CrowdStrike backfill and support that claim. So there was never at any point evidence to support the DNC claim that Russia was responsible for the hack. But they justified the claim with a heavily redacted report from CrowdStrike. And it's unclear whether at any point the FBI even received an unredacted report from CrowdStrike. One would think that in the two year long Mueller investigation, they might be able to arrive at these same conclusions. But nope. Guess they just couldn't find all the proper information with all of their resources and all of the tens of millions of dollars that were spent. And whether you think that's more likely to be ineptitude or more likely to be corruption, let's just keep in mind that an investigation of that quality existed for two years undermining a duly elected American president. And it was happening for the purpose of undermining that president. Now, in itself, this is a pretty major reveal that is going to push that whole Russiagate story forward in all new ways. But it potentially grows a lot larger than that. And Toria Brooke on Truth Social pointed this out yesterday. She wrote, and after this, where did CrowdStrike send that server to prevent anyone else looking at it? She wrote the perfect call, CrowdStrike, the server, Ukraine. As soon as Trump revealed he knew where the server was, they launched his impeachment and got people like Vinman to leak a falsified transcript. How did the server go from FBI hands to Ukraine? Now, remember the lead up to the first fake impeachment. Alexander Vindman, the very heroic whistleblower, reported on what was said in the call between Trump and Zelensky. He just reported it inaccurately. And then Adam Schiff 
read a fake transcript in front of Congress. And then Donald Trump got the actual transcript and released it himself. And remember, while all of that is going on in November and December of 2019 and then January of 2020, you'll remember that the first fake impeachment ended just days before COVID became a big deal in America. During that whole time, the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop. Hunter Biden's laptop contains an extraordinary wealth of exculpatory evidence that would have clearly proven Donald Trump was looking into something real when it comes to the Bidens and the corruption in Ukraine. So they had that information and didn't use it, even in an impeachment of an American president. They falsified the transcripts and read fake transcripts into the record. And then Donald Trump, of course, released the transcript. Now, here's what the critical segment of that transcript is. This is Trump speaking. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server. They say Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the attorney general call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. And President Zelensky responded, yes, it's very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important that we are open for any future cooperation. And his answer goes on. But the critical part in there is that Trump is asking directly about the server, about CrowdStrike, about Ukraine, and about the corrupt involvement behind what is clearly happening in the days after the Mueller investigation ended. We're talking Late July 2019. So the Mueller thing wraps up and immediately Trump makes that move. Now, this question is apparently so dangerous that the Democrats had to gin up an impeachment inquiry into this phone call, claiming that there was some quid pro quo. No, it was a perfect phone call. He was just asking about the things that they don't like anyone asking about. And we'll get back to some Ukraine stuff in a second. But let's talk about how well Joe Biden is doing and where the country is at in terms of his legitimacy. This is from Rasmussen, the polling company today. 2000 Mules. Documentary's message resonates with voters. The new documentary, 2000 Mules, which investigates evidence of widespread cheating in the 2020 presidential election, is hitting home with voters who have seen the film. A new Rasmussen Reports national telephone and online survey finds that 77% of those likely U.S. voters who have seen 2,000 Mules say the movie strengthened their conviction that there was systematic and widespread election fraud in the 2020 election. 
Only 19% of those who have seen the documentary say their belief in election fraud was weakened. (laughs) How could you watch 2000 mules and be more certain that there was not fraud? That has to be the stupidest reaction possible. It's so far beyond just denial. That is absolutely crazy to think that they could produce that documentary. Everyone in it is lying or incompetent or, I don't know, trying to stage a soft coup <laughs> like actually happened to Trump for six years. Hey, both sides aren't committing coups. OK, let's be clear about that. One side is the coup side. The other side is not the coup side. And it also turns out that one side is the stolen election side and the other side is not the stolen election side. And guess what? The coup side and the stolen election side, those are the same people. It's not hard to understand. So we've got Dinesh D'Souza and the rest of the Salem media crew, and some of them I don't trust at all, so forget about them. But then we've got Catherine Engelbrecht, Greg Phillips whistleblowers, the theory of the case fully explained and video evidence, and someone watches it and thinks, you know what? It's actually less likely that election fraud happened. I am convinced by this movie that the chances that the election was stolen are actually a little bit less than before. In fact, I'm surprised that Democrats themselves didn't make this documentary because it is so convincing from this documentary that election fraud simply could not have happened. Okay, child brains, that makes sense. Your belief in election fraud has weakened after seeing the documentary. Got it. So far, only 15% of voters have seen 2000 Mules. The movie by conservative activist Dinesh D'Souza that premiered last month at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort. 19% of Republicans, 14% of Democrats, and 11% of voters not affiliated with either party report having watched 2,000 Mules. Now, 15% of voters is no small number. If we are supposed to believe the fraudulent statistics of the 2020 election, that would be about 156 million voters. So 10% of that is 15.6. And you add another 5% of that, you got 23.4 million Americans, if these numbers are accurate, projected to have seen 2,000 mules. That's real good. And the movie cost $20, but a lot of those people who bought the film probably shared it with their family or watched it with their family. Some people watched it for free for certain. So let's say only half of the 23.4 million people saw it for 20 bucks. Well, that's still like $230 million. That makes 2000 Mules a massive blockbuster. I mean, that is how we would talk about it if it was a Michael Moore documentary, right? Michael Moore's documentaries, they appear in the theater and we have ticket sales and we hear about the ticket sales and we hear things like this is the biggest documentary that has ever been released. It's so important. Please watch this 
delusional communist who looks like he's melting lie about everything. For real, Michael Moore looks like silly putty. I bet if you press the newspaper to his face, you could read it off his face. Backwards. If Michael Moore made 2000 Mules, it would be the most talked about documentary Hollywood has ever seen. Awareness of the new documentary is much more widespread, with 41% of voters saying they've heard about 2000 Mules. That includes 50% of Republicans, 36% of Democrats, and 38% of unaffiliated voters. And that is a huge number for a film that cannot be and is not supported by the mainstream at all. Not even Fox News will really touch it. Tucker Carlson had Katherine Engelbrecht on, didn't mention 2000 Mules, and Fox News has been relatively silent on the whole thing. But that's a good indication that the awareness of 2000 Mules is actually building because the 77% of the 15% of people who saw it, the 77% who said it strengthened their conviction that the election was stolen, they're going to talk about it and they're going to share it. And that is what is making up that 41% of people who are familiar with this. They're getting it from us, from our side of things, because the mainstream is trying to avoid it as much as possible. They've put out a few little debunkings, but those debunkings are not helping their cause. People are becoming more aware of this and more people are going to see it and more people are going to be convinced that the election was stolen because it was. And inherently, everybody kind of already knows that. Among voters who haven't yet seen 2000 Mules, 70% are familiar with the film's subject involving claims of widespread coordinated voter fraud in the 2020 election, sufficient to change the overall outcome. That includes 36% who are very familiar with claims of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. 75% of Republicans, 63% of Democrats, and 74% of unaffiliated voters who haven't seen 2000 Mules are familiar with the claims at the heart of the documentary. Among voters who have seen 2000 Mules, 85% of Republicans, 68% of Democrats, and 77% of unaffiliated voters say the movie strengthened their conviction that there was systematic and widespread election fraud in the 2020 election. 68% of Democrats who have seen 2000 mules were strengthened in their conviction about systematic and widespread election fraud. Among voters who have seen the documentary, 77% say they would recommend 2000 mules to others regardless of whether or not they share their political beliefs. That includes 84% of Republicans, 73% of Democrats, and 74% of unaffiliated voters who have seen the film. Those are enormous numbers. That means the film is very effective. Even among those who haven't seen 2000 Mules yet, 57% believe it is important for the public to be aware of topics covered in the movie, including 40% who believe public awareness of the subject is very important. Only 17% think public awareness of the topics covered in 2000 Mules is not at all important. And you gotta love those people. 19% of people said that this movie actually weakened their conviction that there was election fraud. And I'm sure they were being 100% honest and not just being the lying communists they are. And then they double down and say, yeah, I'm not convinced at all. In fact, I am 
less convinced now than I was before seeing the movie. And also, it's not important whether or not there was systematic and widespread election fraud proven right before me that my eyes just consumed. And here's another interesting result from this poll. Among voters who haven't seen 2000 Mules, those earning more than $200,000 annually are most familiar with the claims about election fraud covered in the movie, while those earning between thirty dollars and $50,000 are most likely to say public awareness of the documentary's subject matter is very important. And that could give some indication that the people in that upper income bracket are probably a lot of the people in that 19% whose conviction was weakened after seeing the movie. They believe they're very, very familiar with the subject matter, but they are also not the group most likely to believe the subject matter is of critical importance. And obviously, I cannot know that just looking at this, but that seems to track with what we are actually observing about people's positions on election fraud. And of course, that's not the only polling that is troubling the fake administration these days. 75% of Americans think the country is on the wrong track. His approval numbers with independents are below 30. And there are polls where his approval numbers overall are in the low 30s. The American people don't trust him on any of the issues. They don't trust him to fix any of the problems. His administration is a daily embarrassment and disgrace to the country, and it is now on full display. Everyone can see it. There, of course, are people who still deny it. There are people who will deny all of this until the very end and probably beyond. And those people are going to go absolutely insane. But there was another report this week. Biden's fake administration is shedding its black employees, which is odd for the candidate who is going to solve racism, the candidate who, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. Maybe all those black staffers at the White House realize that the project of communism is maybe not worth being employed by a man who was mentored in politics for four decades by a Klansman. I know I'm really thinking outside the box here. I know that's very controversial to say. It's all true, of course, but you're not supposed to say it. And you're definitely not supposed to ever think that a man like that would have black staffers if he was really like that. So therefore, he must not be like that. And therefore, even if all the black staffers leave, he's still not like that. Because the important thing is remembering and using the old information when it's still useful, even if it's contradicted by all the new information. But it's actually kind of worse than that because he's not even getting his normal amount of mainstream media protection anymore. He's still completely protected by the cable news hosts on CNN and MSNBC at night. They all praised his anti-gun speech last night, even though Joe Biden and everyone around him doesn't have the first idea about anything regarding guns. 
They still dutifully came out on television and said that it was one of the greatest speeches ever. And it seems like we're finally at an inflection point and Joe Biden might be the guy who finally solves this gun problem and disarms the American public on behalf of the global communist order. But they have to do that because they figured people were actually watching. Of course, no one who voted for Joe Biden watches Joe Biden's speeches They voted for Joe Biden so that they could put their team back in power and go back to forgetting about all of it. You know, focusing on themselves, their own mental well-being. It doesn't make them feel good to have to pay attention to politics. That's Trump's fault. Trump made it so they had to pay attention to politics all the time. Everything was always upsetting them. And if they could just get rid of Trump, it would all go away. Of course, it didn't go away. So then they decide instead of, hey, everyone I listen to is wrong and maybe I should start listening to different people. They decide the new problem is Trump supporters. But once they get rid of Trump supporters, oh, then it's utopia. And hey, if the Trump supporters would just do what we say, everything would be cool. But they're not. So if we eventually have to, you know, kill them. They asked for it. Is it what justice demands? No. It's just another desperate attempt to reimagine all the ways they have the moral high ground. They were never, ever wrong. Well, here's CNN yesterday. This is Edward Isaac Dovier. Beneath Biden's struggle to break through is a deeper dysfunction among White House aides. Being familiar never makes the feeling less dreadful White House aides emailing each other during one of President Joe Biden's stops on the road, tracking who's covering what he's saying, which TV channels are taking the speech live and realizing a number of times that the answer was none. Now, that is strange. I mean, we saw Biden's events throughout the campaign of 2020. He would have six or eight people there in their little chalk outlines, their little circles so that they could be socially distanced. Occasionally, we saw whole dealerships worth of Jeeps show up at his car rallies. They made the entire parking lot look very, very full, as if it was all full of people, even though it was just a bunch of rented cars that may not have even had people in them. So we're all accustomed to absolutely nobody showing up to see Joe Biden. But we're not quite as accustomed to the media admitting it. You are thinking, said one person familiar, why are we doing this? (laughs) Biden and his inner circle get weekly readouts of the metrics on local newspaper coverage of his speeches, how long and for what he was covered on cable, but also videos that staff post on Twitter and other social media interactions. Those reports go on the piles with internal memos from pollsters saying Biden isn't breaking through in traditional news outlets and that the people who are engaged are mostly voters who've already made up their minds. Again, more hilarious wisdom from inside the bubble. The only people paying attention to Joe Biden are people who voted for him and cannot deal with The cognitive dissonance created by how bad the reality around them has been made as a result of their support 
for the global communist order in the person of the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy and fake proxy president Joe Biden. But beneath this struggle to break through is a deeper dysfunction calcified among aides who largely started working together only through Zoom screens and still struggle to get in rhythm. Well, that's strange. I thought we were going to have a work at home economy from now on. I thought there was no point in putting people in the same room and that it was actually dangerous. What with all these new variants and the whole monkeypox thing we can't have people working together. People just got upset at Elon Musk because he told his employees that they were going to have to come back to the office. But now this seems to indicate that people working apart from one another have a hard time with team building. Man, the technocracy is just falling apart. They're still finding it hard to grasp how much their political standing has changed over the last year. And there's a divide between most of the White House staff and the inner circle who have been around Biden for longer than most of the rest of that staff has been alive. Okay. In an email to CNN, White House spokesman Andrew Bates said, that is not the dynamic in the White House. Uh, uh, all right. At the center is a president still trying to calibrate himself to the office. Oh, really? Well, he's been in politics for 50 years, was the vice president for eight years and has been fake president for a year and a half. If he is unable to calibrate himself to the office, one of two things are true. Either he's absolutely incompetent and senile and has no idea what's going on. Or he's not in control of anything and is not, for any intents and purposes, the president of the United States. If Joe Biden was a commanding figure, he would not have to calibrate to the office. The office would calibrate to him as it did under Donald Trump. And yes, I understand you might say, well, you know, Donald Trump had a lot of Bad staffers, a lot of bad people in his administration. The deep state was just nipping at his heels the entire time. And yes, that's entirely true. But to argue that Donald Trump was not able to thwart that at every turn or nearly every turn and still have a successful presidency. Well, that's a real tough argument to make. Donald Trump reshaped that office in countless ways that will continue to help our country for decades into the future. The country is pulling itself apart. Pandemic infections keep coming. Inflation keeps rising. A new crisis on top of new crisis arrives daily. And Biden can't see a way to address that while also being the looser, happier, more sympathetic, lovingly onion parody inspiring, aviator wearing, vanilla chip cone licking guy. An image that was the core of why he got elected in the first place. And there you have it. CNN coming right out to admit that their carefully crafted and carefully choreographed image of what they thought their audience wanted in a president does not work anymore now that people understand what they've gotten. And this sentence, while being terribly written, really terribly written for a professional writer, is nonetheless worth reading again. The country is pulling itself apart. 
Pandemic infections keep coming. Oh, Biden's got nothing to do with that. Inflation keeps rising. Biden's got nothing to do with that. And new crisis on top of new crisis arrives daily. And of course, Biden has nothing to do with that either. Man, it's just the world happening as the world happens. That's what Karine Jean-Pierre told us the other day from the White House press room. No one could have seen that inflation would not be temporary and it wouldn't be temporary. In fact, we were totally right 18 months ago when we were saying that. But you see, we've kept getting variations of COVID, which no one could have expected. And we've got Chinese lockdowns causing supply chain issues, which again, no one could have expected. And we've got Putin's war of aggression against Ukraine, his invasion of Ukraine. And again, no one could have seen that coming. So none of it's Joe Biden's fault. You got to remember, none of it is Joe Biden's fault. Even when his own Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, says that they were wrong, it's still not Joe Biden's fault. Karine Jean-Pierre explained the other day, actually, that even though Janet Yellen said the administration was wrong last year, Janet Yellen was saying that about a very, very specific thing. Just like Joe Biden was saying that inflation was transitory in a very, very specific way. And the fact that it is not at all transitory and is exactly the consequence of Joe Biden's policies doesn't actually make Joe Biden wrong back then because all these things have come up and no one could have seen them coming. But let's get back to this fantastic sentence. Biden can't see a way to address that while also being the looser, happier, more sympathetic, lovingly onion parody inspiring, aviator wearing, vanilla chip cone licking guy. An image that was the core of why he got elected in the first place. CNN's audience is so replete with child brains that this is what they think everyone wants in a president. They want the old white version of Barack Obama. And these people, incompetent as they are, figured they could construct that out of anyone. And so they said, let's do it with Joe Biden. He's going to be the loose, happy, more sympathetic, aviator wearing, vanilla chip cone licking, guy who inspires loving onion parodies. You see, it's all loving. It's not like the parodies of Donald Trump, like Saturday Night Live's parody that just shows you how mean and bad he is. It's kind of parody, but it's really real. When people parody Joe Biden, it's all out of love because Joe Biden's a, a loose, hip, happy, cool guy who wears aviators and licks ice cream cones. They are so incompetent that they think Joe Biden licking ice cream cones isn't a disgusting image when you understand it in the context of Joe Biden constantly sniffing and touching kids. He has to speak to very serious things, explained one White House aide, and you can't do that getting ice cream. My, my, what lessons they have learned. Aides regularly talk about how little traction they're getting from one-off Biden appearances or events, and then 
Whether on inflation, the baby formula shortage or mass shootings or the other crises landing on Biden's desk. You got that? They just land on his desk like a fly. Oops. How did that fly get in here? Joe Biden makes these crises. And just to take a tangent for one second, Patriots are in control, pointed out on Truth Social today, highlighted a fact check from USA Today. This is their fact check. This is what it says. Accounts from witnesses and authorities show Uvalde shooting was not a false flag. So now the media is claiming that the existence of witnesses means the event was not a false flag because it could not be a false flag. And also false flags never happen except when Russia does them to start wars with Ukraine. Now, I'm not claiming that Uvalde was a false flag event, but regardless of the reality of the event, the facts about that event have not been consistent at all, have refuted one another and have changed many times. The way the media and the political establishment have handled the event has not changed at all from moment one. None of the differences in facts have changed their reaction to the event, which means that whether or not the event happened, the event is in fact being used as a false flag. And consider how unbelievable it is that the media, rather than fact-checking the details of particular elements of the event, they are now fact-checking the conclusion that people have drawn from their observations of all this, that Uvalde may be a false flag. USA Today is trying to dispute that conclusion. That conclusion is not a fact or not fact. It is not in the realm of facts. It is not something you can conclusively prove one way or the other at this point. You especially can't prove it on that side because everything they have said about the event has been nonsense. And you really do have to question what the media and the political establishments are doing here. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are in the midst of an extraordinary propaganda and censorship regime. We get propaganda through the news media. We get it through our entertainment media, through movies and television. We get plenty of it from online content. And we are confined to that experience when we are using legacy social media platforms. Propaganda and censorship are their weapon, their most powerful weapon. They base everything on that because they need the public to believe their side of the story. Everything hinges on the public believing their side of the story. If it didn't, they would use force and just take everybody over and kill everybody and deal with the consequences. They could get to their endpoint if they wanted, if they could use force the way they want it, but they can't do that because they need the public's consent to do all of this. So to get that, they use propaganda and censorship. Now we know that they create propaganda events throughout the world. We have seen plenty of this in Ukraine. We have seen them filming battles that aren't happening. There is actual video of that. You can see the film crews. And what they are doing when they are creating events like that is that they are creating real life propaganda. Questioning the validity of the Uvalde story 
is no different than questioning the validity of the ghost of Kiev or the fact that the Russians didn't slaughter 13 Ukrainian soldiers on Snake Island or the fact that the Russians didn't bomb a maternity hospital full of pregnant Ukrainian civilians. Those events did not happen, but they certainly presented them to you. They were creating propaganda. And to the extent that that maternity hospital was blown up by someone, that event occurred in real life. But was it also completely staged as it seems? If it was, they were creating propaganda in real life. So witnesses actually cannot speak to the reality of the situation. And the distortion and the manipulation of reality is the point. They want to breed confusion because a lot of people, when they get confused, will go to the answer that they believe feels right emotionally. And then they will check out because they don't want to deal with the confusion. Now, for people who are awake and who are observing what's happening and trying to figure out if events do, in fact, map onto a coherent reality, we can look at their confusion as proof that they are not telling us the truth. And then we can learn more. But that's not how their audience takes it. Their audience gets confused and upset and they check out. It is worth noting, though, that the idea of Uvalde as a potential false flag has grown so much in the public sphere that now mainstream outlets are having to fact check that idea. The mainstream media has virtually no control over the narrative at this point. But let's go back to the cone licking cool guy. And I want to start back at the top of that paragraph. Aides regularly talk about how little traction they're getting from one off Biden appearances or events. And then whether on inflation, the baby formula shortage or mass shootings or the other crises landing on Biden's desk. He's often left looking like he's in a reactive crouch on the issues that matter most to voters rather than setting the agenda. Sometimes clipped moments from those speeches that the White House puts out on social media generate huge traffic. But at least as often, moments from the president appearing to be caught off guard go viral on their own. Aides and allies worry that the West Wing is making the same mistakes as they tout the White House's big pivot to inflation which they know is a defining issue for the midterms using all the methods Biden and his top advisors keep going back to a Wall Street Journal op-ed, a basic photo op, Oval Office meeting with the Federal Reserve Chairman and Treasury Secretary, dispatching cabinet secretaries for short TV interviews. Biden's speech on Thursday night calling for real action on new gun control laws was a departure from many of his recent appearances, complete with a carefully staged managed lineup of mournful candles in glass lining his walkway into the East Room. But even with his intense delivery and repeated return to the word enough and laying out of an aspirational agenda that has little chance in Congress, despite broad support among many Americans outside of Washington, he was more than anything reacting to how the conversation had already taken shape without him. And then, less than an hour after he was done issuing his call to action, Biden left for an early weekend at his beach house in Delaware without much of a public schedule for days. The president 
is a 79-year-old man who still thinks in terms of newspaper front pages and primetime TV programs surrounded by not-quite-as-senior aides in senior positions with the same 1990s media diet. Lifelong habits don't tend to fade when people get to their desks in the West Wing. So they've replaced mean tweets with total communications incompetence. Got it. Great job, fellas. These numbers that get put up by soft media, a senior advisor put it to others on staff recently, using a term meant to brush off all platforms that aren't older than Biden's grandkids, don't feel as real. It's not just the kind of news Biden consumes, according to CNN's conversations with 14 White House aides and other Democrats in close touch with the White House. After 50 years of looking up to the Oval Office, televised speeches and front page stories are how he thinks of a president making news, still conceiving of the presidency as a sort of Rooseveltian ideal where he can lay what's happening for an audience gathered around to hear from a commander in chief whose schedule keeps getting cleared for him to write, edit and review each set of remarks. A speech is presidential. Remarks are presidential. His view is if he can just explain to people what's going on and why that people will understand, said one person familiar with Biden's thinking. Yes, that's actually true. If he could explain to people what's going on and why people would understand just like they did when Trump did exactly that. Trump actually continues to do exactly that. And people do understand exactly what Trump's saying and how it maps exactly onto the reality they're experiencing in their own lives. And he does indeed seem presidential while doing it still now. Why? Well, because he won the 2020 election and for all intents and purposes is still the president. This method is not working for Joe Biden and it's not because of his inability to understand modern media or social media or be good on Twitter or even use Twitter because he obviously doesn't. His staff does. Joe Biden's problem is that he cannot explain what's happening or why in any honest way. Joe Biden can't understand what's happening and why, because Joe Biden doesn't know. And no one tells Joe Biden why things are happening because Joe Biden doesn't matter. Joe Biden does not have a decision-making role in his own fake administration. Those things all come down from much higher than Joe Biden. The reason Joe Biden can't get the American people on his side is because they hate everything he's doing and him lying about it only makes it worse and more obvious. Now, this article keeps going about the internal White House drama and all of that. Read it if you like. But I'm going to leave that in the interest of time and in the interest of the fact that I think I've made my point. This is from the New York Post today. Biden says Ukraine might have to give Russia land in negotiated settlement, which is a strange thing to have happen while Ukraine is winning the war against Russia. Don't you think? I mean, Ukraine valiantly won the Battle of Kiev. Vladimir Putin, who never tried to take over Kiev, apparently lost the Battle of Kiev. And that is proof that the comedic actor and the 10,000 citizens that he armed are winning the war against Russia. So Ukraine and all Ukrainians, including the Nazis, are all very heroic. Russia is losing. And Ukraine is so heroic 
and so charitable even to those who would wage war against Ukraine, that they are going to give Russia Ukrainian territory, even though Russia has surely lost. President Biden on Friday declined to rule out Ukraine having to cede part of its territory to Russia in order to end Moscow's more than three-month-old invasion. Does Ukraine have to cede territory to achieve peace? A reporter asked Biden after his remarks on the May jobs report. Another failure. From the beginning, I've said and I've been, not everyone's agreed with me, nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. Biden began his answer. It's their territory. I'm not going to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. And of course, Biden has no ability to tell them what they should or should not do because Biden is not in a decision making role in his own administration. And he is completely and totally compromised because of his own corruption in Ukraine that is proven overwhelmingly by the evidence in Hunter Biden's laptop. And the fake president goes on. But it appears to me that at some point along the line, there's going to have to be a negotiated settlement here, the president added. And what that entails, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows at the time. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to put the Ukrainians in a position where they can defend themselves. So let's just remember where we started, right? Joe Biden said a minor incursion might be okay. And then we heard that any violation of Ukraine's very sovereign borders would be met with a swift and forceful response from the United States and its very powerful president, Joseph Robinette Biden. Except that didn't happen. And if they are ceding Ukrainian territory, then the United States initial goal, as stated, to protect Ukraine's sovereign borders How would we score that? That has been an absolute unmitigated failure. And here's why. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Thursday that Russian forces currently occupy roughly one fifth of his country. And there are estimates that have it even higher than that. Russia is also in control of their ports and their farmland and their resources. And I know that Some people who have been listening to this show for the last few months think, oh, man, Chris Paul, he must be crazy. He continues to say that Ukraine is losing. The media is saying the exact opposite. Seems like they must know what they're talking about, too. Maybe it's something in the middle. Nope, it's not in the middle at all. Ukraine has not been remotely successful at any point in the last three and a half months. The entire thing is an unmitigated disaster. Russian President Vladimir Putin's war objectives remain murky. Isn't that incredible? You see, they're not murky. He stated them from the beginning. And then our media has consistently restated his objectives as something else. They have said he wants to take Kiev. He wants to take over all of Ukraine. And then he wants to expand, taking over other former Soviet bloc countries. That is how they've described his goal again and again from the beginning. Russian President Vladimir Putin's war objectives remain murky. How is that so? How is that so? Again, to restate his objectives from the beginning. Demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. 
win the independence of the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic in the Donbass and end the civil war being waged against those people of Russian ethnicity by the comedic actor and his Nazi army, maintain control over Crimea, and keep Ukraine from joining NATO and the EU. Those have always been his goals. Those have always been his negotiating points. Ukraine and the global communists controlling Ukraine could have accepted all of that three months ago and not dealt with all of the casualties, but they didn't. So once again, Vladimir Putin's war objectives remain murky, but Biden claimed in February that Putin was attempting to reestablish the former Soviet Union by seizing territory that Moscow once ruled. So Biden's statement of Russia's goals from the beginning are not at all murky. It just turns out that those have not been borne out in reality at all. Biden's subordinates previously expressed an openness to Ukraine, giving up land to placate Putin. For example, White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield said in March that she would not prejudge the matter. But it's unclear if Ukraine would actually agree to be carved up as if Ukraine has a choice. The territorial integrity of Ukraine should be guaranteed, Zelensky said in March, as Ukrainian troops fought off a Russian attempt to seize the capital of Kyiv. That is, the conditions must be fair, for the Ukrainian people will not accept them otherwise. And of course, you just heard the restating of the Russian goal to seize Kyiv. In an interview with Newsmax this week, Zelensky doubled down. We're not ready to concede any of our territories because our territories are our territories. Well, that's a tautology. It's our independence, our sovereignty. That's the issue. Oh, you're so inspiring, comedic actor. If it's all about ultimatums and you have to concede a third of your territory, we'll leave you calm and we'll leave you alive. This is not something we can agree on, the Ukrainian leader added. Although Biden has poured billions of dollars of U.S. aid and military materiel into Ukraine, he's often been at odds with the country's pro-Western government. So Biden is the one that poured all the money in. They don't mention Congress. And then they tag on that Biden has been at odds with Ukraine's pro-Western government. What in the world could they possibly mean by that? Joe Biden is shilling for Ukraine military action, for the removal of Vladimir Putin from power, the weakening of Russia's military, for sending ridiculous amounts of weapons and money over there into a black hole where everything is simply lost by the Pentagon and then resold on black markets. In what way has Biden been at odds with Ukraine's pro-Western government. For all intents and purposes, they're the same thing. The same parties are controlling both actors. It's so funny how uber-conscious mainstream media writers are of constantly placing everything in the frame necessary for the propaganda to work. They are so conscious of that that they often overlook the fact that Different pieces of that framing they're meant to reinforce, if stated in the wrong context, actually expose 
how dishonest and farcical the entire narrative is. Russia invaded on February 24th, about a month after Biden said at a press conference that the U.S. would respond differently if Russia launched a minor incursion, a comment which horrified Ukrainian officials, one of whom told CNN at the time that Putin senses weakness and may take the comment as a green light to attack. And let's just hold on that for a second. Putin senses weakness, according to Ukraine, according to the media. The weakness, of course, being Joe Biden, Joe Biden's incompetence, Joe Biden's corruption, Joe Biden's senility, Joe Biden's dementia, Joe Biden's greed, Joe Biden's narcissism. Putin knows he can exploit all those things. And what is Joe Biden's fake administration and what is the media concerned with right now? That their image of Joe Biden as a looser, happier, aviator wearing cone liquor isn't connecting with the American public the way they thought it would. It kind of makes you wonder if they ever thought about whether or not that portrayal might signal extraordinary weakness to the rest of the world. Perhaps Vladimir Putin is not impressed by Joe's trips to the ice cream shop and his vacations in Delaware. Biden also reportedly irked Ukrainian officials in January when he allegedly told Zelensky to brace for a sack of Kiev. And I suppose that would have been Better for them to write a sacking of Kiev. So that was what really bothered them. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because without Joe Biden saying that Russia was going to sack Kiev, there would be no story about how Ukraine was actually winning. Because the idea of sacking Kiev is the entire premise for the claim that somehow Ukraine has been successful at all. Remember, the comedic actor won the Battle of Kiev and forced Russia's forces back. You can't paint that picture without first asserting that Putin was going to sack Kiev in the first place. And Biden did that and Ukraine got mad about it, probably because it wasn't going to happen. But thank goodness Biden made that up or there would be no victories at all. White House National Security Spokesperson Emily Horn described the report as completely false. But Zelensky later said he rejected a U.S. offer to fly him to safety with the remark, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. Very comedic actor of him. Since 2014, Ukraine has fought a lower intensity war against Russia backed rebels in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions, which declared their independence from Kiev after protesters toppled pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych. Oh, protesters did that? It wasn't a George Soros color revolution aided by Joe Biden and people right now in Joe Biden's administration. Oh, yes, it was a lower intensity war waged by pro-Russian rebels. No, they haven't admitted to this civil war the entire time, but it has been waged since 2014. It's just been waged by the comedic actor who is second in line of succession from that coup, from that overthrow of Yanukovych and the neo-Nazi battalions at his command. But those facts wouldn't be quite as useful 
for propaganda purposes. The Obama administration, in contrast with the Biden administration, firmly ruled out Russian territorial expansion, generally referring to Russia's annexation of Crimea following a disputed 2014 referendum as merely an attempted annexation. So apparently they get to still pretend that Vladimir Putin lost in 2014, too. Putin has now taken back Georgia, Crimea and the Donbass and created the land bridge down the eastern half of Ukraine under the last few non-Donald Trump presidents. But we're supposed to believe that the global communists and these illegitimate Democrat communist presidents have all the leverage against Vladimir Putin and are actually dictating events to the extent that they're able because of international law. If you believe that, you are detached from reality. Now, there was an interesting report that I think might have gotten overlooked today. Apparently, Taiwan has threatened to stop their trade of modern computer chips to Russia and Belarus in response to the invasion of Ukraine. And that comes as the Russian foreign minister asserts that Taiwan is an integral part of China. So Russia is recognizing Taiwan as part of China. Taiwan either is or is not part of China, depending on your perspective. And that is what we discussed a week or so ago when Tony Blinken, the fake secretary of state, was out there doing mop up duty, saying that the U.S. was still committed to our one China understanding of things. But Taiwan, which is in some sense part of China, is threatening Russia and Belarus, even though China is allied with Russia when it comes to Ukraine. And China is allied with Russia when it comes to trade and currency and various other things. So wouldn't it seem dangerous for Taiwan to be trying to punish Russia and Belarus against the wishes, you would assume, of China. Wouldn't that be a problem, especially with things so tense between China and Taiwan already? I mean, China is sending military ships out. They have constant flyovers. There's a lot of saber rattling going on with the China-Taiwan situation. Wouldn't their punishment of Russia and Belarus potentially make that situation more fraught? Wouldn't it make it potentially more likely that China would actually, quote unquote, invade Taiwan? This story is very strange. Is it Taiwan manufacturers that are transnational corporations? Is it potentially the corporate evil twin as it exists in Taiwan making this sort of decision? Something about this is very odd, and it's worth keeping our eyes on, especially as this Taiwan situation begins to bubble more and more into the mainstream. I have said for a long time that I think the China-Taiwan situation will be the mirror image of the Russia-Ukraine situation, and it will probably lead to a lot of the same outcomes. The exposure of the global communist corruption and criminality enterprise as it exists in Taiwan. And we will obviously find out a lot more 
about whether or not I'm right about that in the coming days and weeks and months. But thank goodness we have such a credible media and such a powerful, competent, looser, happier, aviator wearing cone licker for a president. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!